Listen, right now, kids, uh, infant to uh, kindergarten, they are dismissed to Children's Church, uh, or everyone can stay in here. It is awesome. Hopefully, kids got the notes. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please stand for the reading of God's perfect word. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 to verse 6, reads, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. This is the truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Listen, for the past week, or past two weeks, we have been in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and if I had to sum up the first chapter in two words, those two words would be, God rescued. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, God rescued. The Thessalonians, just like every other sinner, were damned. They were on the road straight to the eternal lake of fire that they deserve. But, praise God, God rescued them. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we saw how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy gave constant thanks for this fact. For the fact that God rescued these people. And then we continue reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we come from, to verse 4 all the way to verse 10. And what do we see? We see a list. We see a list of evidence, evidence after evidence that God really did in his amazing grace change, save these people. In verse 5, we saw last week, we saw how the gospel came to the Thessalonians, that it came not in man's power, but in God's power with the full conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
In verses 6 through 10, it tells us how upon God's real rescue, the Thessalonians began to imitate Christ. They began to proclaim Christ. They began to submit to Christ. They began to long for Christ's return. Chapter 1 shouts, God rescued. God really did rescue the Thessalonians. Now in two words... What is our passage about today? The first chapter is God rescued. Our passage today is God's instruments. God's instruments. Let me say it this way. I want to be used by God. Don't you want to be used by God? I want every second of my life not to be a waste, but every second of my life to magnify Christ. Isn't that what you want? I want to be an instrument in God's mighty hand that he uses to proclaim the gospel and then through that, Rescue sinners and build the body of Christ. And that should be the longing, the desire of every believer to be an instrument in God's mighty hand for his glory. Who were the instruments that God used to proclaim the gospel, rescue the Thessalonians, and build the body of Christ. The instruments God used were Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And in our passage today, it tells us what they were like. It tells us how they ministered. It tells us why they were such powerful instruments in God's mighty hand. It tells us why they proclaimed the gospel and God used that to rescue the Thessalonians and God used that to build the body of Christ. And in looking at this, we can glean who we should be. We can glean and learn what our ministry should look like. We can learn how we can become that mighty instrument in God's awesome and powerful hand. And the very first trait we see in Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy is boldness. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Prior to sharing the gospel in Thessalonica, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy shared the gospel in Philippi. Prior to Thessalonica, it was Philippi. 
And they presented the gospel, and what did God do? God worked mightily through them. They presented the gospel, and God used that presentation to rescue people in Philippi. God used it to open their eyes to the truth of their sin and their need for Jesus and rescue them through faith in Jesus Christ. God used Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy mightily in the city of Philippi right before they came to Thessalonica. But what else happened in Philippi? As the text says, in Philippi, before Thessalonica, when they presented the gospel and they were used by God to further the kingdom of God, they suffered. They were spitefully treated. Turn for a moment to Acts chapter 16, where we will see this in just a little greater detail. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they are on the second missionary journey of Paul. Starting in verse 11, they come to Philippi. And they begin to share the gospel. They begin to tell the people of Philippi about Jesus Christ. And what happens? What happens? God works through them. Look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 16. One who heard us, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And look at this last line. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken, which is the gospel, to heed the gospel or the things spoken by Paul. Then what happens? She heeds the word and she receives the word. She becomes a believer in Jesus Christ and not only her, but her entire family. And then in light of their salvation, they get baptized. They tell the world that they've been saved by Jesus Christ. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they go to Philippi. They present the gospel, and God works mightily through them. God rescues sinners. God builds the body of Christ. But what happens at the very same time? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy suffer. They are spitefully treated. Go down to verse 22. Then the multitude in Philippi rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they're used mightily by God in the city of Philippi. And at the very same time, they're maliciously stripped, they're maliciously beaten, they're unjustly thrown in prison. Then what happens? We come to verse 25 to 34. And Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they start presenting the gospel to the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer and his entire family come to Christ. But with that mighty work of God through them, what else comes? 
You come to the end of the chapter and the leaders of the city of Philippi, they don't apologize for mistreating and stripping and beating Paul. They don't apologize for unjustly arresting Paul, Silvanus, or Timothy. No, what do they tell them? They tell them, get out of town. We don't want you here. We're not going to apologize for everything we've done wrong to you. We're just going to say, get out of here. Leave us now. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were used mightily by God. They presented the gospel, and God utilized that to rescue sinners and build the body of Christ. And all the while, they suffered because of it. They were persecuted because of it. And then you turn the page and you come to Acts chapter 17 and the Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they go to Thessalonica and what do they do? They do what they always do. They present the gospel. They present the gospel knowing full well that just like they suffered in Philippi, they are most likely going to, and they do, suffer in Thessalonica. What is that? That is boldness. That is saying, I don't care how much you persecute me. I am going to present the gospel. It's Jesus first all the way. Boldness. Despite persecution. Now turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that's what it's talking about. The events in Acts chapter 16 and 17, it's pointing back. Paul's pointing back and saying, look, Paul, Silvanus, and I have been bold. Despite suffering, we continue to present the gospel. Doesn't matter what it is, we present the gospel. The gospel. Now notice something very important about this boldness. Notice the location of this boldness. Look again at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul, Savilness, and Timothy were not bold because they had guns like me. Be impressed. No! They were not, they didn't enter into a city saying, we're going to present the gospel no matter what, because if the fight breaks out, we can handle it. No. They were not bold because they were better speakers than their opponents. They were not bold because they were more brainy than their opponents. They were bold in God and who God is and what he's done, what he promises to do. Their boldness was located in God and in no way, shape, or form themselves. Proverbs says 
In chapter 21, verses 30 and 31, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are bold in the Lord. They know the ultimate victory is in the Lord. So despite their previous suffering and potential suffering as they presented the gospel in Thessalonica, they preach, preach, preach the gospel with absolute boldness, unashamed boldness. Let me say it this way. Self-confident people and cowards look for boldness in the same place. Self-confident people and cowards look for boldness in themselves. And what does God think of that? What does he think of the self-confident? What does he think of the cowardly? Well, it says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, everyone who is proud in heart, self-confident, source of boldness in me is an abomination, disgusting to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Guess who's the first on the list in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, concerning those who will be thrown into the lake of fire, the cowardly. God does not want self-confident people. God does not want cowardly people. He wants people like Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy who find all their confidence, who find all their boldness, who find all their courage in him, who look to him alone. Amen. Now, when I see this, when I see that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are bold in our God, and they're subsequently used by God to proclaim the gospel, rescue sinners, and expand the body of Christ, what do I think? I immediately think, I want that! I want boldness in our God that in turn God utilizes to proclaim the gospel, that in turn God uses to save sinners, that in turn God uses to build the body. I want that! And then I ask myself, how do I get that? How do, I, how do I grow in my boldness in God? And we all know the answer. We all know the answer. It is first, pray, pray, pray. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, every Every good and perfect gift is from above. What is boldness except for a good and perfect gift? So if we want boldness in our God, we want to grow in our boldness and thus be used by God, what do we need to do? We need to get on our knees and we need to say, God, Instill in me this boldness in you. Help me to trust in who you are and what you can do and your promises. God, give me this good and perfect gift. I want to be an instrument in your mighty hand. Give me this boldness 
Destroy my self-confidence. Destroy my cowardice. And give me that boldness that only you can give. What's another way we access and grow in this boldness? You know the answer. We dive deep into God's word. That just makes sense, right? If you don't know God, you're not going to be bold for God. If you don't know God... You're not going to be bold for God. And where do we discover the depth and the rich and the, might, the mightiness of God? His word. His word reveals who he is. It reveals what he's done. It reveals what he's going to do. If we want to be bold in God, we need to know God. And the way you know God is by diving deep into his word and allowing the Holy Spirit to pierce your heart and open your heart and mind to who he is and thus live in light of that. Dive deep into God's word. I've said it before, all of us have truth amnesia. Truth amnesia, we're constantly forgetting. But we dive deep into God's word and it constantly reminds us of where boldness can be found in him. In Isaiah chapter 40, I love it. It says, all nations before him are like a drop in the bucket and are counted as less than nothing. What an incredible verse. All the garbage that the nation produces, all the powers that the nations have, it's, it's less, it says literally, less than nothing compared to our mighty God. So in light of that, we hear that truth and what will that instill in us? Wow, I can be bold for God. Everything compared to him is nothing. As Isaiah chapter 40 says, we can wait on the Lord and he will renew our strength. He will lift us up. How do we grow in this? I look at Paul, Timothy, and Silas and how they, how they followed Christ's example. No one was bolder than Jesus, amen? amen? And they imitated Christ, and I want to imitate that. I want to be bold in God and thus used by God. And two things that can help us grow in that is get on our knees. Wasn't planning on saying this, but let me just say this. One of the things, this picture in my mind that I just keep on having is you and I insatiably praying. You and I, whether it's on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, you and I just, not, just can't get enough of getting on our knees. That we get those beautiful camel knees. I, mm, what's God going to not not because of us. What's God going to do through that? He's going to instill this awesome, we need boldness, amen, today, right? Satan's really bold. Evil is really bold. But you and I can be bold in our God. And through that, he can work to crush the work of Satan. He can work to crush the work of evil and rescue sinners and build the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now let's move on to the next trait we see. Paul and Savilness, 
They're bold and God uses them. The next trait we see is fidelity. Look at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. When I see that word air, this is what comes to mind. The most dangerous kind of preaching is mixed bag preaching. What is mixed bag preaching? It's some truth with a little bit of air. That is so dangerous. It's not just something we can brush off. That is ap- Mormons do this well. Truth mixed with air. Muslims do this well. Truth mixed with air. Jehovah's Witness do this well. Truth mixed with air. And I can just go down the list of every religion on this globe aside from obviously the only true one, faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that lead to? What does that mixed bag message lead to? It leads to a distortion of the gospel. It leads to a distortion of who God is and what he's really done and how we're supposed to live in light of him. It messes up everything. It destroys. One person said, a mixed bag preaching propels people towards hell. So what must we be? Like Jesus was first, like the apostles are here, like these Paul, Timothy, and Silas are. We need to strive, strive, strive in dependence on the Holy Spirit to share the truth without air. No mixed bag. With absolute fidelity to God's word. This is so serious. Galatians chapter was it 1 verse 7 and 9? But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Preach the gospel with a little bit of air. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be anathema. Let him, in other words, burn in hell. And just in case I don't get it, he says it again. As we have said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Jesus had something to say about this. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, that part right there, those who believe in me is parentheses, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the, and drowned into the depths of the sea. Paul, Savilness, and Timothy, what are they? They, are, they? they have this fidelity to the text, this fidelity to the truth. It's independence upon the Holy Spirit. It's going to be without air. We're going to throw it away. We don't want to mix bag anything. We, want, we don't want to point anyone slightly off from Jesus because slightly off from Jesus is hell. No, we're going to stay true to God's Word. Next notice, notice the next word in verse 3. They present the gospel. They present the truth with, without impurity. That word impurity is actually, the primary reference is sexual impurity. 
When this was written, most of the religions of the day, what did they promote? They promoted sexual promiscuity. How so? Well, cult or temple prostitution, uh, temple orgies were all the rage. It was totally common. The common thought was if you want to get close to your false god, then you have sex with your spiritual leader. If you want to get close to your false god, have sex with a cult priestess. And it just promoted this sexual promiscuity, this sexual sin. But Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they're used by God and they have no part in that. They are separate from that. They push that away. They not only, let me say it this way, they not only spoke the truth, but in this difficult area that everyone struggles they, and the culture was fighting against, they live the truth. And God used that fidelity to his truth to what? Proclaim the gospel, rescue sinners, and build the body of Christ. Rainbow flags are flying in more and more churches in America every day. And I know it's in your face, and I know it's in my face, and sometimes I just don't want to even want to talk about it, but we need to talk about it. Why? So we remember the truth. So we stay true to God's Word. What is that rainbow flag flying everywhere? It's impurity that God hates. Impurity. What is sexual activity of any kind outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage? It is a sin that God loathes, hates. God wants us to speak the truth and to live it out. Not capitulate to any other truth in any way, shape, or form. And when we do that, in his strength, when we stand strong, when we hold to this truth despite the constant bashing of the culture, what does God do? The same thing he did with Paul, the same thing he did with Sylvanus and Timothy. He uses us to proclaim the truth through which he sets people free, through which he builds the church. Look at the last word he uses in verse 3. He says that they did not attempt to deceive. False teachers in Paul's day, they often used sorcery, magic, theatrics to gain a following. That word deceiving can also be translated fish hook, right? You put a nice chunk of bait on the end of a fish hook, and it's deceiving because under it is this hook that leads to the fish's death, right? And so often, in so many different ways, right? What are teachers doing? They're presenting this bait that says, this is really good. This is a mixed bag concerning the gospel, and really it's a hook that pulls people into death. They use these theatrics, they use these sorcery, magic. They did all this for the purpose of presenting a false gospel. Downplayed truth so they can emphasize specific truth that everyone else would love. And the same thing happens today, right? We know this. Gospel presentation, 
What do so many often do? It's let's not mention the word sin. Let's not mention the reason why we need salvation, which is God's eternal wrath on all of those who fail to believe in Jesus Christ. Let's just talk about the other side. And what is the result of that? It's a death hook. If you're only presenting one side of the gospel and not the full gospel, then you don't have a true understanding of the gospel. And it leads you down a road, or as I said before, propels you down a road towards hell. But thank God, Paul, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they don't do that. They present the gospel in full. In full, every aspect of it. And they do it through the biblically prescribed method, which is the preaching, which is the teaching, which is the sharing of God's word. Fidelity to God's word defined Paul, Silvanus' and Timothy's ministry. And God used it. What does that mean for us? It means we, if we want to be used by God, fidelity to God's word needs to define our ministry. Needs to define what we say and do. Here's an application in light of this. Guard the truth. Or you could just say, stay true to God's word. Fight off evil. Paul said to Timothy later in his ministry, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is, I love that, of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Paul says later in 2 Timothy, to Timothy, guard, I love this, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure, speaking of the truth of the gospel, Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You all know this. You know that God's word, the truth, is under constant attack. Constant attack. What is evolution but for attack on God's word? It's not just another view. It is an attack on Genesis 1 through 11. What is the woke agenda? It is an attack on Genesis 1, 16, and 17. It's an attack on the image bearers of God and how God made and defines them. All of it is destroying, seeking to destroy the truth. And you and I, like Timothy, like Paul and Sylvanus, are called to guard it. To stand strong, to stay true to the word of God. We need to be a people who are defined, who just are constantly saying, the Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. And I will hear you out. But in the end, I'm always going to land on the Bible says. I am going to stay true to and I'm going to defend God's word no matter the cost. And Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, they did that. And what does God do? He uses them like we all want to be used. People are saved. The body of Christ is built. And like they followed Christ's example in this, we need to follow Christ's example. Last thing we see here is focus. Look at verse 4. But just as as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak not to please man, but to please God 
who test our hearts. Now, it is absolutely clear that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, especially when we go next week to the following verses, it's absolutely clear that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy love. They love the Thessalonian people. That is undeniable. They love them. But their first love and their first priority and their first focus is God, God, God. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Father. It is, it is pleasing Him above everything else. That is their focus. Prior to salvation, prior to his salvation, no one pleases God. Prior to salvation, no one pleases God. What do we offer to God prior to salvation? We offer filthy rags. This is why Romans 3.12 says, of all non-Christians, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is why Romans 8.8 says, of all non-Christians, those who are in the flesh or without God, those who are in the flesh in terms of without the Holy Spirit is the context not saved. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Prior to salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, a person, not one thing they do, not one thought they have, not one word they say is pleasing to God. Not one. That's why salvation by works is just absolutely an atrocious doctrine and totally false. But, as Ben mentioned before, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And when we, by the work of the Holy Spirit, place our faith in Jesus Christ, what does he enable us to do? Through the Holy Spirit, he enables us to do what? Produce fruit. He enables us to produce what are called works of righteousness, pleasing in his sight. Amen. This is one of the reasons you and I are saved is holiness. One of the reasons why you and I are saved, in other words, is to live holy unto God, to live a life that is pleasing unto him. Prior to Christ, it's all unpleasing. After Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can please him. We can make it all about him. And that's the focus of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. John Walvoord, a theologian, said it this way, the final test of every life and of every message or sermon is what does God think about it? What does God think about it? That was Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy's focus. It wasn't on what I think about it. It wasn't on what others think about it. It's on what does God think about it? He has made me. He has made me in Christ with the ability through the Holy Spirit to produce that which is pleasing to him. So I'm going to constantly ask myself, what does God think about it? Because that is my focus. Now, in the following verses, verses 5 and 6, we see some specific practical examples of how they did this. It says in verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery. What is flattery? 
Simple definition, flattery is a lie that the hearer likes that is told for selfish gain. Flattery is a lie that the hearer likes that is told for selfish It's like when a car salesman says, you are smart. Wow, you look good. Buy this car, right? We all know what flattery is. One person said it a great way. Gossip is something you would never say to a person's face and only say behind their back. Flattery is what you say to a person's face, but would never say behind their back. It's a lie that, in, that the person likes that is told for selfish gain. And this happens all the time concerning the truth. It's like, I got to build you up. I got to build you up. I got to build you up. And then, once I've built you up enough and convinced you enough, then... I'm going to present one side of the gospel for you. And that's just plainly not the truth. What was Jesus' message when he first came? It started with an R word. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repent is a really discouraging word because it means that there's something in me that has to change. So they didn't come with this flattery. John Walworth says it really good. He said, they did not come to the Thessalonians and say, what outstanding citizens you are, what beautiful characters you have, people as good as you ought to be trusting in Christ. No, he told them the hard truth that they were lost sinners, that they were bound for hell, that they desperately needed a savior and that their religion was not enough. They needed Christ. They needed his glorious salvation. There was no flattery, no Christian salesmanship or manipulation in the message. It was the unvarnished truth. He did not come to flatter the Thessalonians or appeal to their ego. He came to deliver a message from God. So how did they please man and not God? They spoke without flattery God's truth. Next, they spoke without this Greed, verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, As you know, they spoke without a pretext for greed. What is the prosperity gospel except a pretext for greed? Right? It just feeds on people's greed. It feeds on the preacher's greed. Give me the money. And it feeds on the people's greed. Oh, I'll give the money so I get more money. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they don't do that. It's not about that whatsoever. It's not about pleasing themselves. It's not about pleasing others. It's about pleasing God. What does God think? What does God want? How else do they please man and please God? They present without Without pride, and they present in full humility. Look at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. Jesus came in absolute humility, right? He came, he was born of a virgin and laid in a manger. We sang that his manger is in the dirt. He comes to these parents who are basically obscure and not well-known. The ceremony of his arrival is minuscule to compared to what it should be. It's humbleness, humbleness, humbleness. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy don't say, look at us and how great we are, therefore you have to listen to us. No, they came in humility. 
and said, without Christ, we are nothing. Let me present Christ to you. And the same thing needs to be true of you and me. Turn, turn just for a second before we close to Philippians chapter 1. We see this humble mindset specifically in Paul. This, I'm about pleasing God, not man. It's so clear in Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 15, Philippians chapter 1. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And look at his reaction. What then? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What is humility? It's considering others more important than ourselves. And Jesus is supposed to be at the top of that list of others. And that's exactly what he's displaying here, this Christ-like humility. Saying it's about God, pleasing God first. Not about pleasing man, which includes myself or others. Now turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we close. Next week, we are going to be in the following six verses. And we're going to continue down this list. See how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy followed Christ and how we need to follow Christ and thus, when we're following Christ, we're used by Christ, and we expand the kingdom of God. And I just want to close this message with this application in light of this last point. The application is, what is my focus this summer? You know, this summer, I want to be used by God. I want to proclaim the gospel in his power, people to get saved, and the, the body of Christ to be built. And I know that's the desire of your heart. And in light of that, if I want that, my focus needs to be on pleasing God above man. And that word man includes myself and it includes others. It's Father's Day. Fathers, let me speak to you so directly. What is your focus this summer? How are you going to, how am I going to lead my family? Is it all going to be self-indulgence? Or is it going to be Christ, Christ, Christ? Oh, my uncle's words, I never really liked the guy, but they've stuck with me for so long. <laughs> he said, there's a time to have fun, but it's always time to obey. I'm going to change that and say there's a time to have fun. Fun's not an evil thing. But in that fun, it's always time to have a focus on God. It's always time. In all things, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. This, this question's been eating me alive all week, actually for the past three weeks. What do I really want for June, July, and August? What do I really want and if I want to be really, if I really want to be used by God 12 months out of the year and just nine, my focus has to be on pleasing God. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, after it talks about salvation, it tells us what our focus should be. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. God saves us so that we can please him. So that we can do good works honoring in his sight. You know what the fact is? This summer, God has good works prepared beforehand for you and I to walk in. And if we want to walk in them, we need to be bold, we need to stay true to his word, and we need to focus on pleasing him first. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. It is really and truly crushed my pride and I just thank you, God, through your grace, through your son, while we were yet sinners, you died for us and you make this all possible. You make it possible for us to live for you. Oh, God, that is awesome. I just pray, God, that your word would not return void, that you would mold me and mold all of us. And as a result of that molding, the word would be proclaimed. Sinners would be rescued. And your church would be built. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.